Welcome to another episode of Riots, Ropes, and Wrestlers. Man, I am so excited for today's episode. Bring him back, good friend of the show, uh, with a little bit of a new concept here between he and I. Uh, two guys who grew up with a very particular era of wrestling, coming off the heels of an infamous era of wrestling, and now going back to revisit uh, some of the key and high points of exactly those two eras. Today, diving into the ruthless aggression era, as good old Vincent Kennedy McMahon uh, wanted to define his brand. Uh, but before we dive into that and in the exact show we're going to be talking about today, Colin, why don't you say hi to everybody, tell them what you've been up to, and just introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, I'm Colin. Thanks for thanks, John, for having me back. Uh, very excited to be back. You heard me once before on this on this here fine podcast um, talking about the Royal Rumble, which I attended live in St. Louis. So, um, no, I'm just I'm thrilled to be back and, and thrilled to be starting this new concept and looking at some of the old the old school pay-per-views and talking about them. And it's an exciting time to be a wrestling fan right now. Things are things are looking up and whatever whatever company you choose to, to follow. Um, things are things are looking pretty good. So I'm, I'm just excited to talk some wrestling. Oh, man, I'm super excited to have you back on here. I know I was super pumped uh, when I kind of texted you out of nowhere and then got you on a phone call and was like, here's my kind of dumb, crazy idea. Uh, and both of us just chatted about how uh, thanks to the WWE Network on Peacock, uh, we were we find ourselves constantly going back and rewatching these old pay-per-views, matches, uh, Monday Night Wars, you name it. And it was like, man, what would happen if we took the two of us who are in our mid to late 20s here? Let's go back and revisit that because certainly I know I have a lot of fond memories of the Ruthless Aggression era, but also I can look back and say, I was a kid. Now that I'm an adult, going back and watching these things, was it as good as I remember? Uh, was it not? Was the dumb stuff as dumb as I remember or worse yet, even dumber? Um, and all of that seems to be true so far. Um, before we dive in, so we're going to wa- we're going to talk about Vengeance 2002, the second ever Vengeance, but the first one under the WWE brand after Vincent Kennedy McMahon had to change the name of his titular company after losing WWF to a conservation group. Uh, And this was also one of, if not the first major pay-per-views of Vince McMahon's ruthless aggression era. With that said, anybody that has watched wrestling in the early 2000s, especially in WWE, which was basically the only wrestling company left, Uh, coming off the heels of WCW folding and ultimately being purchased by WWE, you will know that there are some wrestlers that are on this match card that carry a lot of conversation outside of the ring and outside of uh, particularly this pay-per-view and outside of wrestling overall. I want to get out front of this and simply say that is not this episode. We are not going to dive into that. Maybe someday we will. Maybe we'll make a whole series out of it all. In the meantime, if you want to know those stories, go check out Dark Side of the Ring. 
Not that they need our plug, but they do some great work diving into some of these stories uh, or, or certainly did before discontinuing to now do a Territories partnership TV show coming up with The Rock. So we'll see how that all turns out. Maybe Colin and I'll hop back on the mics and dive into that shit show or greatness whenever it gets here. <laughs> but that all being said, as I stated, we're going to dive into Vengeance 2002. Colin, where do you want to take us into this? Um, I, I guess we can go ahead and just start with the, the, the kickoff right from the right from the get go. Um, this pay-per-view kicked off with a with a pretty fiery, um, fiery match to start with. We had uh, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero versus the Dudleys in a tables match um, for the um, for the first the first match here. And I got to say one thing that that I kind of noticed off the top off the start that really stuck out to me and that i kind of missed and wish they bring back is when they used to do those i kind of forgot they did them those like watch parties and other places where they like check in and everyone's like losing their shit it like, yeah. looks like it's like at a bar or something like that that i i appreciate that that makes it that gives it that big fight feel that gives it like a it makes it feel like a big deal i kind of i kind of like that now then later that when they checked in you know they had the some of the divas there and we can, we can get to that in a <laughs> bit can, but we can get into that <laughs> no um, it's it's really interesting real quick on those watch parties. What's kind of cool about that is uh, like we said, WCW has just folded. It's been bought out by Vince McMahon. We've, I believe already done the invasion angle. We're wrapped up in the, uh, in the late nineties and beginning of the, the decade or, or century, I guess uh, the ruthless or the attitude era and now moved into the ruthless aggression era one of the really cool things, though, on those watch parties, that was actually an Eric Bischoff idea. It was something that they did in WCW in a way that he drummed up support uh, and and for a while was beating Vince McMahon as they would essentially reach out to these colleges, almost like college game day, uh, and have these frat parties happen that were focused completely around wrestling and say, hey, send us in your videos of you watching Monday Night Nitro and we'll put them on TV and you'll get some kind of a kickback. Um, Eric Bischoff has also, to, also, also, wow, told some really interesting stories uh, that about 90% of those videos were way unusable. We're never going to be able to make it on TV uh, because as you can imagine, a bunch of drunk college students don't necessarily send in made for TV tapes. Uh, so <laughs> I just had to jump in on that. Just a little bit of wrestling history there uh, and, and how those watch parties came to be. But I agree. It, it really gave a very different atmosphere to the entire pay-per-view and made it feel like, man, this is everybody's in on this. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think they kind of they missed an opportunity maybe in uh, the, the previous um, SummerSlam just this year being in Nashville. I think it would have been cool to utilize that um, that feature. You could have had bars down on Broadway. I'm sure, I'm sure Kid Rock would have loved to to have some some camera footage in some of his bars. That th those sure. you probably couldn't put on TV though. I, it's probably the same boat. Um, <laughs> but no, th this I, I don't know what, what your thoughts were on the match itself, but I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good, fast paced way to open the show. I kind of forgot it, it had been a long time since I'd seen um, a tag team tables like eliminator eliminator match or whatever where they yeah like. I, I guess I wasn't maybe maybe they announced it maybe they didn't but as soon as the, the, the first one went through the table I was like oh shit that's that's the end but then 
And then they it were like, a- nope, <laughs> match continues. I was like, okay, that's a unique. I, I don't, I mean, I can't remember the last time I've, I've, I've actually seen one of those style matches, but I thought it was a, that was a unique way to start it. And I, God, I, the strength of Chris Benoit is, is, is just insane. That dude is a freaking animal. I, I mean, the I, rabid just, Wolverine, man. Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, unbelievable. No, I, I agree. What a way to, to pop open the show um, and lead into this with, uh, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, two historically well-bonded friends uh, in wrestling who only about a, uh, a couple years before had made their grand entrance. I think uh, Michael Cole said actually even in the arena that they were in, that was when uh, the Outsiders, as they were called when they debuted, mm-hmm. showed up uh, to a wrestling, a WWE wrestling event. With this, though, to, to add a little bit of clarity, the Dudley boys, uh, the Dudleys opening up this match against these guys, it was not the Dudleys that everybody might re- might actually think of. It was not D3. It was Spike Dudley, who a lot of people, I think, forget about entirely. I know, candidly, like for a long time, I did, and only in recent years started to a remember him but b kind of appreciate him for what he brought to uh the 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 shakeup of the dudleys um but no what a hell of a way to start with the tables match also michael cole and taz i'll be really honest was never a fan of taz on the on the mic mm-hmm. like i don't hate him he's just not my favorite guy on the mic and then you have a very young michael cole who's doing his damnedest (laughs) but says the same thing that's the most obvious thing like ten thousand times which would kind of become a staple of michael cole which we know now (laughs) was not entirely his fault and we're seeing in in present day in 2022 we're seeing him kind of coming to his own now uh so it'll be really cool to see how that develops but uh with them calling this match and um pointing out just a a number of of things my favorite though was taz just relentlessly going after eddie guerrero and chris benoit for how much trouble they had getting the fucking table set up like just every time (laughs) oh man that table's whooping his ass over there (laughs) oh man chris benoit doesn't know what he's doing with that table (laughs) and then like at one point eddie just clearly getting i'm pretty sure shoot pissed off and just yelling at taz from ringside like i was losing it it was hysterical yeah, watching that, that happen that was <laughs> so. great yeah it really you know they, they love to and, and rightfully so kick off pay-per-views typically with um you know quick like fast energetic you know banger matches and i i had actually wrote down like you know super fast great way to start off the show but then i looked at the wikipedia um results card and that was actually the second longest match of the night only only four minutes longer was the main event, which shocked me. It felt they did not feel like that was the that, that match was that long because it really was pretty much nonstop, nonstop action. So I mean, kudos to all four of those guys for really putting on a putting on a great opener. Oh yeah, no, fantastic opener there. Good on them. Um, and yeah, we'll dive into this some more as we talk through the rest of the matches uh, on the match card here. But while I I agree, I didn't notice that this was the second longest match of the show. I certainly noticed that a lot of the other matches were quick and snappy. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah. they had a lot going on. This was, I think, the first pay-per-view of the brand split, if I remember correctly. So they were really trying to get a lot of a lot of guys out there. Uh, they had a lot happening. Um, mm-hmm. And and with that brand split, this was also the last time, at least in this year, in the year that this took place, that Eddie and Chris Benoit were both Raw guys. They would immediately move to SmackDown uh, following this event. So uh, some really interesting intrigue as we're also seeing play out across this match card and this pay-per-view, the ramifications of the brand split, the, the, the rivalry between SmackDown and Raw that at that time kind of felt like a real rivalry, but also anybody that, that paid attention to what's happening outside of wrestling uh, knows that Vince McMahon loves Raw too much to let anything too drastic happen uh, to, to damage Raw. Um, and, and I think you see that to some extent, both in terms of the roster lineup, even for this match card, uh, as well as, and no disrespect uh, to Taz and Michael Cole for the work that they did on the, the pay-per-view, but also like from the jump, they make really clear, hey, yeah, JR and the King are going to be out here for the, for the important shit. <laughs> like, yeah, no, um, that's what I said. Basically. A huge ba- un, uh, unbalance in terms of those, yeah. but it certainly finds its way. Um, no, we talked about real quick. Uh, I think it was Eddie Guerrero was the first one eliminated from a, mm-hmm. a pretty cool move from Spike going over the top ropes, then yep. kind of reversing it and turning it into. Although actually watching it still, I couldn't help but but find myself going, well, Spike went through that table a lot more than Eddie did. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Spike was doing the <laughs> offensive move. Right. Uh, right. So he gets he gets the count for that elimination. Like uh-huh. you said was really cool because WWE and, and just wrestling in general, you don't see that style of match anymore where one of the tag team partners can get eliminated. And then it very quickly turns into a handicap match. Now they obviously don't keep it much <laughs> very long as a handicap no. match in this situation. As you talked about Chris Benoit's strength, Holy shit. Or Spike Dudley must weigh like a feather, like one of the two <laughs> An overhead press. Uh, it's, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> it's, just, it, it's insane. Wild. Utterly wild. Um, but ultimately, the Dudleys pull out the win, get the big victory. All is good. The baby faces win. The heels go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we move right along in the show. Yeah. And we move straight into – you kind of just started to touch on it, and I wanted to add a little bit. Um, the – I guess I would say the, the courting of Triple H was kind of the ongoing um, storyline. And, and I really like that. And I, I wish, and they've started to bring it back a little bit more, but I, I love when they have, you know, ongoing stories throughout the course of pay-per-view. They keep kind of going back to and checking in on, you know, it, it adds a lot to it, I think. And it really um, makes it a lot more entertaining. So I, I really liked the, this concept. They, I mean, goddamn, did they make Triple H feel like the, coveted mvp signing like the the greatest of the greats that <laughs> stephanie and, and eric bischoff were just clamoring to get their hands on um oh, yeah. so i i enjoyed those backstage segments those those were entertaining to me especially you know watching eric eric get all get it all butthurt when when he went into stephanie's office um oh yeah i think it's i think it's it's great stuff i just i really enjoyed it it was great drama, great uh, soap opera storytelling, just to be honest about it, yeah. right? Especially when you tie in all of the, A, real world uh, stuff 
that are at play in the dynamics of Triple H and Stephanie's relationship, Triple H and Eric Bischoff's relationship, <laughs> um, and then even the in-story stuff that we get. They actually they, they added a lot of intrigue, but yeah, no, it, it, this is another one of those instances that you know now being in my late twenties watching it, uh, you see Vince McMahon's fingerprints all over this pay per view, mm-hmm. all over the storytelling, uh, and who gets to look like the baddest of the bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> and Triple H 100%. was certainly the bell of the ball here, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And it, it was quite hysterical to watch this play out uh, between them. Also, though, kind of loved. Um, and it comes up in a segment later on in the show, so we can talk about it more then. But I loved it, some of the insults that get thrown Bischoff's way that are clear jabs about WCW. Mm-hmm. I have grown to very much appreciate Eric Bischoff. I think the guy uh, is really intelligent, uh, does really get wrestling, wants to tell good stories, obviously wcw just went the way that wcw did i don't think you can entirely pin that on bischoff again that's a whole nother episode Uh, but good on him for standing there and taking some of the shots that come his way both uh verbally and and physically at times so no just a great segment seeing um seeing triple h go back there and and i kind of also miss the 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 weight that being the general manager of one of the two brands felt like it carried and it actually felt important. Um, I don't even know if they do general managers right now uh, with how infrequently candidly I follow the, the WWE product. Yeah. I, that's, that's a major thing that I, I, I miss. I want some of my favorite um, moments growing up from, from this kind of era came from, Teddy Long, Vicky Guerrero, you know, Jonathan Coachman, all these different GMs throughout the, throughout the years. Um, and, and like you said, it, it feels big and it, it just adds another character element to the show um, that you don't really have. You kind of have now, right now they have Adam WWE official Adam Pierce is, is essentially what they had. They call him a WWE official and he's on SmackDown and raw um and he i I don't know why i don't know if it was a vince thing or or why the hell they don't call him just a gm because that's he's playing essentially the same role but i mean it's it's not as involved not as not as weighted but and i hope they get back said maybe with with the triple h era they will but yeah i i i this might be a mortal a a sin to say but sometimes i really i I think eric bischoff outshines even vince in terms of being an on-screen character i i think he does great work um, and like you said, I, I think he truly does get the business. Um, you know, he and, and I, I would not attribute the fall of WCW completely to him at all. Um, there, there were so many, so many factors, but I really, I really enjoy him. Um, and I, I think he does. He did a great job there. No, I, 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 I completely agree. I think Bischoff, especially as an on-screen character, is just fucking gold. Like the dude is fantastic. He plays his role so well. Uh, and it's because one of Bischoff's strengths always has been the guy's a fan of wrestling. Like he, he cares about the product because he likes the product. Um, and so he, he really gets into it and really enjoys it. But uh, anyway, so we see Triple H go in and, and we'll probably be able to let's, let's kind of interweave that just like they did uh, throughout some of this episode here, as we talk about kind of moving back and forth between Triple H and his storyline happening here. 
uh, and ultimately what what happens with that storyline and then some of the other matches and segments that are going on. So any other thoughts on, on kind of this first segment with uh, trips backstage and Bischoff and Stephanie, who actually at that point we have not seen yet. Yeah, no, um, no, that, that, that's, that's about all I got on that one. It was a pretty, it was a relatively short one, but um, there was so many of them. So they, they rightfully, rightfully were. And I think they kind of, just moved right into the the next match, which, which was Jamie Noble versus Billy Kidman for the cruiserweight title. Hey, don't forget Jamie Noble's wife, quote unquote. Oh, yes, yes, Nydia. I don't I don't actually know if in real life she was his wife. Uh, certainly how they how they played up. This is another thing throughout this match, though. I found myself going, "Whoo, yeah, this is the early 2000s. Uh-huh. Uh, D- did you know. you know that he lives in a trailer, John? Had you, have like, you heard? I was like, they bought a new trailer and a new truck, but it was a used yeah. truck, yeah. but it's new to them. I was like, oh, my God. Uh, we are we are definitely 2001 right yep, now. Yep, yep. You can just hear events and commentaries here. Push, push the white trash angle. It's really a trailer. <laughs> we put him out there in jorts. Damn it. Tell him he lives in a double line. <laughs> but yes, the cruiserweight title, something that like doesn't exist anymore um, mm-hmm. and stopped existing in the mid 2000s uh, before you know, having a history of a, a, a pretty important title to like wrestling history yeah. until Vince got his hands on it, admittedly. And then, you know, I think we all know how that ended with Hornswoggle, no disrespect, being the last ever cruiserweight champion. Mm-hmm. And that tells you how Vince felt about that title, which yeah. anybody that knows anything <laughs> about Vince would not be shocked to hear that the cruiserweights didn't exactly get a ton of love from him. Mm-hmm. So overall, though, this was a pretty another pretty like fast paced match. This was one that was pretty short, um, but had some good spots in it throughout. What are, what are your thoughts here? Yep, I that's exactly what I thought. Um, short, sweet to the point. Uh, nothing's you know crazy special about it, but just a solid you know lower card match. Um, both both great great wrestlers um, doing their thing, and I, I yeah I, I really. It was one of those matches where, um, you know, you don't you don't necessarily walk away th- thinking with a, a wow moment. But again, it, it's a it's a it's a low card match. Um, Jamie Noble wins, of of course, and can continue his uh, his his lifestyle with his with his <laughs> Nydia, whatever his whatever her <laughs> is in there, and they can go live happily ever after in their in their trailer. And you know, I, I think it's, Doesn't, it's great. Uh, it's I great. think I think the king also makes a reference right at the end of the match about the you know oh they're gonna be able to go out to the buffet tonight. That's right, he like did. That. That's right. <laughs> but again, it's like goddamn, dude, yep. give them a break. <laughs> yep, just relentless. Once they well, they, they latch on to one thing and it's just they beat it into your head (laughs) that that was no that is very much it that is very much it but jamie noble is i want to take a second to chat about him because he is somebody that i actually like vividly remember seeing a lot as that low mid-card guy um throughout a lot of the ruthless aggression era I, i remember him on so many episodes of smackdown um and and always playing the same character of yes. Jamie Noble that he yes. was, but again, just a, a very vivid memory of him. Um, it, hard worker. It's from what I remember, like dude was putting it, putting in work, putting on a show as much as he could leaned into the bit 
Um, he was, you know, the great value Stone Cold, <laughs> the the knockoff version, essentially. What would happen if Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't turn out to be cool? Um, <laughs> that's Jamie Noble. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's genius. <laughs> what would Stone Cold wasn't cool. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. <laughs> no, I, I I totally agree. He, he's a hard worker. He was he's constantly he was yeah constantly on SmackDown, and he's and still he's a he's currently behind the scenes as a as a producer now, I believe, at WWE. Um, so I still with so. the company, um, and still doing doing good work. Been with them for a, a long time. Um, but yeah, uh, I the, I like I said, I know he's still a producer. I don't know what I'm not sure what happened to whatever happened to Billy Kidman do you have any i i actually don't know uh i know honestly billy kidman is someone who i kind of forgot about so, yeah, me <laughs> like, too uh, until he walked out and i was like oh yeah billy kidman was a wrestler he in was WWE thing, yeah. during this era this is also though i think one of the the issues that wwe had at this time which necessitated the brand split so in that perspective was a good thing uh in my opinion but they had such a deep roster because they yes. brought over a shit ton of honestly mid and low card guys from WCW um, and some of the big, uh, big names from there as well. Obviously not the biggest name that would be decades later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's a whole nother story as well, but sure um, no. So that's, that's the thing. I don't remember what exactly happened with him. I, I just he actually is also a producer currently at the WWE. So there you go. Hey, they both I'm, stuck around. <laughs> I'm glad you pulled that up because I was gonna say I thought he I thought he was dead. So no, he sure <laughs> yep, still Good. still kicking it. Um, Good on him, man. Holy Good shit! Did him. you know? Oh, he is also married to Tori Wilson. Look at that. Oh, damn. Ex- extra good on him. That that also makes sense. For later in the show <laughs> right <laughs> when when tori shows up but we'll, we'll get to that we will get to that so uh you had mentioned the the length of the first match this match and it doesn't feel that way this way to me seven and a half minute match start to finish mm. wipe wipes that one down real quick which for like a two hour 37 minute show kind of crazy to think about <laughs> but yeah um, yeah that is but regardless, as you said, Jamie Noble gets the win, continues on as the cruiserweight champion. Uh, both SmackDown guys, we get to see this this matchup again. We get to see Jamie Noble defending that title a few times and then ultimately uh, chasing that title quite a bit throughout SmackDown. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you had mentioned it earlier, so I got to make a plug here. Uh, when we were talking about GMs, I also like some of my favorite memories are Teddy Long, uh, and it's become a meme now for for the wrestling fans. But there were many nights that I also remember Jamie Noble. Look, Playa, tonight you're going one on one with the Undertaker <laughs> because I'm pretty sure they just needed something for Mark to do that night. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but awesome. anyway, 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 so. We go from that to another backstage segment, teeing up uh, a little bit of our uh, main event, as well as the sensational rookie, the next big mm-hmm. thing, the first run of none other than Brock Lesnar and good old Polly Dangerously 
Paul Heyman himself, mm-hmm. uh, which man, that had a hair, huh? And like he yeah. lost some weight. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's focus, talk about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Knowing what we know now in 2022, it's kind of interesting to go back and see Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar mm-hmm. uh, in this particular instance, what are your thoughts there? What did you like it? Do you not like it? Knowing what we know now, anything that you, yeah, just any thoughts there? Yeah. So we get, we get Kurt Angle cutting out. That's very typical Kurt Angle promo. Uh, and then heel, heel Kurt Angle. Yeah, yes. Yes. Clarify. That's true. Yes. Yes. The, the you suck Kurt Angle. Um, and then Paul brings in interrupts and brings in Brock, um, brings in his 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 prize fighter, his prize possession, his his glory boy, Brock Lesnar. I, I don't yeah, I think it's a solid little segment. Um, it didn't do all that much for me. Paul any anytime Paul Heyman has a microphone in his hand, it's usually pretty damn good. Um that's that's just to be expected. Um and, and we're definitely in the in the era of of Paul does all the talking and then Brock says one word to the wrestler and leaves. That's, that's, that's kind of how those go. You know, he hypes them up and then Brock's just this, you know, it doesn't say they don't make him out to be very intelligent, but that's okay. It's he's the beast. He's, you know, he's that, that's, that's what he is. Uh, but no, it's, it's crazy to, to see. Um, I know, I, I mean, 2002 was, you know, 10 years ago. Don't, oh God, that's 20 years ago. I'm getting old. Um, and it's, it's crazy to, to see. I know it doesn't that, that one. Cuts <laughs> that <deep>. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's crazy to see him 20 years ago. And then think about watching him last July or, or, or yeah, I guess it was July at SummerSlam. And they really, he hasn't really changed other than he's got a ponytail now. The dude is still just a, a freak of nature, um, oh, yeah. just as much as he was then, which which kudos to him. But yeah, um, solid little segment for me. Um, again, like I said before, I'm, whenever Paul Heyman's got a mic, I'm, I'm listening. No, he is so good. Uh, again, not that they need our plug by any means. Um, it is it is straight up WWE schlock, but I I would be remiss not to plug the documentary. Hello, my name is Paul Heyman. Uh, It's great. I love Paul Heyman. He's got a fascinating background, um, a fascinating story. And dude is just the ultimate wordsmith on a microphone uh, as a character on a wrestling program, hands down, bar none. Um, So no, I agree. Definitely good to see. Also, exactly what you said it's it's so crazy because you could you could take that segment out of 2002 and drop it in 2022 and nobody would flinch because that is exactly who Brock Lesnar is that is exactly who Paul Heyman is that's why we still see them getting paired up uh and like you said the only real difference between Brock is the dude got even bigger uh and he has a ponytail now and a sense of humor uh, so, um, but other than that, same exact guy. So. Yeah, exactly. It's it's it it's the same guy. Um, it's just sometimes he gets booed and sometimes he gets cheered based on who he's feuding with. Essentially, I mean, <laughs> you know, much. he's a, he's a, a face now, or I guess was. I don't know what what his future is, but because he's being a. a, a witty d-bag to roman and so you get cheers you know <laughs> so everybody loved him no that's exactly <laughs> it. it and it will be really interesting to see um and we kind of referenced this once already to see what his role is in the new era of wwe under stephanie and and triple h so 
I can't wait kind of to see what happens there unless they just kind of shelve him, which I could also see because I could see Brock being like, all right, I made the deal with Vince. See y'all later. Uh, Cause he kind of already did. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I, I'm curious. I'm with you as well. I, I really don't know what, what to think because I think he really is a, a Vince guy and I, I don't know what his relationship is with, with triple H or with Stephanie. Um, but you yeah. know, I, yeah, I hope you got to you got to give him one last one last kind of you got to give him a cool send off if you're yeah, going to if you're going to exactly. send him out. Exactly. Um, yeah. Speaking of send offs, though, uh, in a slightly different way, moving into the next match here, we get the European Championship match between Jeff Hardy and William Regal. Oh, uh, the last time we see the world, the European Championship, the last time it is defended because the following night on Raw. Eric Bischoff would combine it with the Intercontinental Championship, forcing the winner of this match to go up against Rob Van Dam as the Intercontinental Champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, let's dive into this one. What are your what are your thoughts right. here? This one was rough. This this one was this one was rough. Um, first of all, I'll, before I go into the kind of in ring stuff, I will say. Um, I I can I could watch William Regal crying for hours and probably still just die. I was on, uh, that put me on the floor. <laughs> the him crying was, was just hysterical, incredible, absolutely. That was that was probably the best part of the segment. But other than that, in, in my opinion, they just it seemed like they just were not on the same page. I don't know. You know, we know Jeff's past. You know, we know, and, and I, you know, I, I'm sure you could look up what stage of his, you know, between rehab and relapse you know he was in during this during this period um but it just he just didn't seem like he didn't seem like jeff um and it, the whole time there was there were there were several botches that i kind of saw um it just seemed kind of sloppy to me it was super quick i mean it was, the match the runtime was um just over four minutes so super yeah. quick match um but yeah to, to me it just that one wasn't there over yeah, no, it, it was not great. And I don't know, like you said, I don't know if it's just really young Jeff Hardy. This is the era where at this time, I don't think Matt's with the company at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, and so they're really doing the Jeff Hardy push. He's still a really young guy. God knows, like you said, what his exact situation was in terms of rehab, relapse, or just, no, I don't have a problem. Um, Jeff, even like not, not to key in on it, but you mentioned botches. The, the one that stood out to me the most uh, as, as an indicator of, oh, all right, this is where we're going, is um, Jeff even like slips when he jumps up on the ring during his intro Yep, and almost yep. falls. And it's like, I- Oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly um, that's a tone for it for me, too. Oh, yeah. And, and then the other component of it is that I think made this match probably really difficult. And, and this is not meant to be disrespectful. I have a, an immense amount of respect for William Regal as well and his career and, and, and what he does as a wrestler. And, um, you know, that's why he became a trainer for a while at WWE before now being over uh, at AEW doing stuff with them. Um, but they have such dramatically different styles yeah, and are dramatically different body types. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, William Regal is exactly what he's always been. He's a, he's a bruiser. He's a brawler and Jeff yep. Hardy, especially at this time in his early twenties, I think mid twenties at, at late at most 
Yeah, it been. any kid that's mm-hmm. literally known for just jumping off of ladders, right? Like that's that's his thing at this point. Um, and so I don't think that helped either. Is you have these diametrically different wrestlers that you're jamming into the ring together for a title that, especially in 2022, uh, maybe unfortunately, nobody gives a shit about. No, like. Nobody cares that you sent Jeff Hardy and William Regal out there for the European title. No. The biggest thing anybody cared about with that was that, uh, and this is probably why Vince did it. You get to stick the thumb in the eye of the Brits in the European country by having Jeff Hardy continue to retain that title. Um, yeah. Again, just to just to throw it away, literally the next night, and be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Forget about that. Yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. It, it seems to me like you, you could see the, the mismatch in style because i mean it's just jeff throwing himself all over the place and it almost seemed like regal was almost trying to keep almost keep jeff in check more than more than anything like yeah. it, like he, he really there were several t- times where I, you could tell that he was almost struggling to, to sell certain things because jeff was just all fucking over the place um and it, it, yeah. that's just you know, like you said i mean when they're when your styles are so different you know sometimes that that leads to that kind of thing showing but um but yeah this 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 one was just wasn't it for me not great and i think i think you probably hit the nail on the head too with william regal probably trying to keep jeff in check especially if we're correct in some of our assumptions about the state jeff was in regal is for all of his whether you love him or hate him uh, is a consistent, like straight up businessman when it comes to wrestling. He respects the business. He wants you to respect the business. So he probably was like legitimately pissed off at Jeff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and legitimately pissed off. He had to go out there with Jeff. Uh, and so probably pretty similar to what would happen to Jeff and TNA when he showed up fucked up and Sting mm-hmm. just pinned his ass down. Literally. I yeah. feel like there was probably some of that of, of William just being like, look, you dumb motherfucker. Like you're gonna die, this match is gonna end quick, and yeah. and and it did. So. Uh, yeah, I believe it. Um. All right, let's let's move into into the next part. As we talked about, good old getting to see the 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 greatest segment of the show. I think with William Regal crying. Uh, yes. You know, just, <laughs> yes. Just so like, just no. <laughs> there's also like no real tee up. It's William. Oh. You know how does it feel? Ah. <laughs> it's perfect, perfect. Uh, and then we go from that amazing comedic gold oh no into vince mcmahon seriously interjecting himself in the mm-hmm. show again with none other than the nature boy rick flair Rickles. and then wouldn't wouldn't you know it hollywood hulk hogan's there and they both gotta give jeff the thumbs up uh let's 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 talk about this a little bit what are you i'm gonna kick it to you here what are your thoughts because you immediately started shaking your head no uh when when we started coming into this one so clearly you have some thoughts and feelings i i do um so i i took notes on, on all this stuff and under this section i just have uh wtf because that's pretty much how i felt um what the hell is this doing here why <laughs> what what is the point of this um, it, it's weird. It's just a weird segment. It feels incredibly forced and staged. Hogan calling Flair Rickles. I, I, I just cringe at that for, for sure. And it's, you can tell, you can tell that, that 
Vince has, like you said, a, a respect and, and sees something in Jeff because if you're put if you're giving him to to his golden boys, Hogan and and, and Rick, I mean you know, there's clearly has some respect for him and thinks he's going to go places. Obviously he did. He's had a, you know, not to knock on Jeff at all. He's had an amazing career, but I just, why do we need these two feeding each other very rehearsed lines backstage after they give Jeff props and just talking nonsense? Um, yeah, I, I th- th- <laughs> this was just bad. Well, this was you know, laughably bad. You know, Rickles, Rickles is more worried about the young guys, like like Jeff Hardy out there, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. because we all know that Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, is world renowned for his persona and wrestling, being how much he cares about the up and coming young guys. Rick right, exactly. would never, I don't know, shit all over them, pin them down, make sure that they don't get to go very far, make sure he remains the top guy, and way overstay his welcome. That's not no, Ric Flair at all. Yeah, he he would not have a a. Um, match in which he's still blading himself 20 years later um, on, on a random pay-per-view event um, <laughs> where no, he and al- almost and dies. Certainly, <laughs> certainly wouldn't fake a heart attack yeah, real yeah, enough no. looking that everyone in the match thought it was a real heart attack. God almighty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then later go on to say something as absurd as man, I really wish I hadn't said it was my last match. <laughs> like, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> This just and this just leads to there's a lot of kind of like like we talked about at at the show open is you know we it's it's fun to look back on this stuff to see you know was the same kind of stuff that we bitch about now was it was that dumb stuff happening that then and and it's it was you know one of the one of the most common things you hear is you know oh and again this now with Triple H things very different but you know Vince loves parading out the oldsters and bringing them back and getting cheap pops with the you know the quote-unquote legends and and cutting back to these old wrestlers you know having the the raw Monday Night Raw 25 year reunion of these like reunion shows and all that shit and that's it's true he does that that happens but it happened back then too I mean, oh, the yeah. same stuff was going on, and 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 yeah, Hogan and, and Flair were a little more active, but they were still heading towards their their golden years at that point. And they, they, he that they've always been about create trying to create those moments and bring legends back to to get pops. And I guess that's what this was, um, but it sure didn't do it for me. <laughs> no, I was very much uh, same thing, like you said. Uh, as soon as Ric Flair walked onto the screen, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Yes, <laughs> and then you see Hogan walk in, and you're like, "Again, what the fuck?" Uh, which, like we said, Hogan especially is is pretty active at the time because uh, the dude just can't let go. They do have, I can't decide if it's one of my favorites or or one I hate the most. Uh, a but they have a shot at WCW and Eric Bischoff again, unrightly. So in my opinion, yeah. uh, but when Flair does the, uh, the, the comment, you know, ah, oh, they better watch out because Eric Bischoff can run a company uh, or he can run it out of business and Hogan going to tell me about it, which there's <laughs> such a fucking irony to that too, because, and again, we're not going to dive all the way into this, but it is well known and well documented but one of the problems with WCW going straight down the fucking toilet was Hogan and his creative control and refusals to do things he didn't want to do and refusals to do things for the show. So it's pretty fucking ironic to have a Hogan be the one that's like, yeah, that Eric Bischoff really fucked the, 
<laughs> show up over there, huh? Really uh-huh. on that one. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Terry. Thanks a lot. <laughs> so we'll leave uh, with that. <laughs> from that, then, like we, we we move on into another match that uh, lays. You know, I don't know if anyone knew it at the time, but boy, lays the groundwork for two people that in 2022 are bigger than you know bigger than life i think in wrestling even still to some extent we see a very young ponytail goatee chris jericho uh going up against on his pay-per-view debut none other than boring as shit john cena like that dude john cena at this point is is the create a character default when you're just trying to get jumped into <laughs> WWE 2K22 and you're like, I just want to get the thing going. I don't even care about my ring gear. I don't even care about my character because he's not even the rapper yet. No, this is dude. like young kid John Cena. <laughs> so. Yeah, pre-doctor of thugonomics. Yeah, no, I've, I've never heard that expression, but that's hilarious. That's a great way <laughs> to describe it because he, he is, he is. He, he um, was literally Vince McMahon's creator wrestler. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said on, I think it was on, he, he's been open about it before that the fact that, you know, John Cena is his legal birth name, but Vince and WWE owns Own the rights. To, like, so it's a this weird fucked up situation where they technically legally own the rights to his own name. So yes, he is a, yes. he is Vince's creation. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what you thought about the match itself. I thought it was a pretty solid. It was again, and yeah. going with the theme of the night, solid, quick match. Exactly. Um, nothing spectacular, nothing crazy. I did notice Jericho, Jericho missed a couple of spots, which um, I, I found kind of interesting because it's not something you see a lot. Of, well, I mean, maybe now in, in his in his retirement years here as he's getting older, but if the most of his career, he's one of the most solid wrestlers out there. Um, Oh yeah. So that was interesting to see, and and you know maybe that's just wrestling with a, a rookie like Cena. But yeah, I think I think this is a good way to, like you said, clearly clearly Vince was all in on this Cena guy, and it's a it's a good way to to build a foundation. You know, I don't think oh, yeah. Jericho necessarily takes any steps back by losing this match. You're not really hurting him that much, but having Cena beat a guy like Jericho on on pay per view on his pay per view debut is massive. So I think it's a it's a good decision. Like it's a win win. I mean, really for for both of them. Um, because like I said, I don't I don't think it hurts Jericho, and it really starts to build us towards like okay, this this guy that just you know screamed ruthless aggression in the face of of Kurt Angle Kurt is Angle. is legit. No, a hundred percent, man. And I think also a, a great way, knowing uh, what we know now is, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. A great way to do that and put over Cena in a pretty big way mm-hmm. when you're about to ship Jericho off to Raw. <laughs> like, yeah, it's right. not like Cena and Jericho have to stick around and you have to figure out a way to to continue that storyline. It was a great way to really quickly wrap that storyline put Cena over on a guy that you can tell Vince also really wants people to get behind mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that uh, was it, I, th- I think at this point, J- JR and the King are out there by now um, doing commentary. I could be wrong on that, but, but what I do remember is the commentary table just kept repeating like 10,000 times that Chris Jericho was the first ever undisputed 
WWE champion mm-hmm. uh, that combined the titles, which is a huge thing. He was, that's awesome. But it was very clear that the commentary table wanted everybody that was watching that pay-per-view to know John Cena just beat the dude who was the first ever undisputed champion yeah. in WWE. And uh, so. And so a cool, like you said, a cool little way to build up. They also, um, they, they have it kind of tie up with what had happened a few weeks earlier with Jericho intentionally getting himself disqualified. So he doesn't lose to Cena right. to finally see Cena get that pop of, of the, of the actual victory. One of the things I did notice though, uh, even now watching the pay-per-view is that the crowd really was not into this match. No, <laughs> like, no. Like there were like two major, not even major. There were two pops uh, that I remember one. I think it was right after maybe maybe after jericho hit a hit a lion salt mm-hmm. um and then the end when cena actually gets the win and then sneaks out you know runs out of the ring runs and away the fuck out of there <laughs> and people were like oh okay <laughs> like, that was pretty much it yeah so any any other thoughts on on this no i i, I think it's just a it's, it's a solid match and it's, it's a great way to um you know to really build towards what what we're gonna what we're gonna see um in the future no absolutely absolutely going from the end of that match though seeing a very angry chris jericho like destroy the ring steps and beat the holy shit out of a ring post with a chair um we then transition back to the through line uh as i'll say for the show of triple h and stephanie's office and eric bischoff and jonathan Mm -hmm. coachman who at this time is just a backstage interviewer hanging out outside the general manager's office mm-hmm. uh i thought they did an awesome job with this bit as well yeah. uh, having having the attorney show up mm-hmm. with these you know important documents and yeah can't tell you what they are and like a, a great little setup and seeing bischoff just get you know pissed about it and almost storm into stephanie's office but then he waits and uh again i i thought this through line was pretty pretty fun uh in that sense yeah and i completely agree and the uh twist of the papers being the being divorce papers yes um i thought was really good i I didn't you know i I didn't I, i actually didn't expect that um I, was, I think that was really a fun little, a fun little twist. Um, oh, but yeah. yeah, like you said, it, it's a, it's just that the continuity of telling one story throughout an entire, um, you know, pay per view. I think is really valuable. It keeps you tuned in, and it also allows you to do multiple different things, you know, between matches and and have you know we, we saw Jericho make an appearance even just later in the night after that after that match and there's just I, I i really that's one of the beauties of, of wrestling i think is is being able to um have th- have ongoing multiple ongoing things happening through you know from mat- from match to match it's just just another example of that and and what i like about that is like you said it's it's really cool to see the stuff happening kind of in the background as well because not just the spectacle because that's that's true to life, right? Like, hey, in real life, we're, you're going to have these big moments that are happening, but there's also that doesn't yeah. mean that 50,000 other things aren't still happening. That doesn't mean that, you know, all those other relationships you have aren't going to be in flux still occurring and moving and shifting. Like you talked about with Jericho and, and him showing up later on in the match card. Um, 
as a tie-in for the anti-Americans, I think is what they were called, which we'll, yeah. we'll dive into that when we get to that match. Um, but it is at this point, uh, so I was wrong a little bit earlier. It is at this point that yeah. we see the the Raw announced team, yep. the the A class announced team. Just to be honest, of it, Jr. Yeah. and the King. Yeah. <laughs> um, it felt it was, like it was interesting to see them have an actual entrance. We don't yeah, it, ever it, get it, that anymore. No, and it felt. I kind of, I wrote down here. It kind of, it really felt to me like a, a, a you were starting a, either a new show or the main card. You know, it yes. felt like it, it, it. For for those of you that watch, you know UFC. You know, it, it felt like we were transitioning to the main card from the prelims to the main card. You know, and, and they, didn't, they didn't do any. They didn't try to hide that, and then that's probably what they're going for. You know, and it was it, yeah, it worked. It worked no. this weekend. I, I 100% agree with that as somebody who does watch UFC um, and usually, just to be honest, doesn't love the prelim commentators. <laughs> like, yeah. get me get me my good comment. Get me Rogan. Mm-hmm. He's the most important UFC commentator. Let's be honest. He is the JR of UFC. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and that was it. And seeing JR and the King walk out and on, <laughs> what was kind of crazy to me, though, they got a bigger pop than the match before them. <laughs> like, yeah. They got a huge pop. Hey, it's JR. It's the king. They're coming on out. Um, true. And then if you pay attention to it, it's not that it's hidden, but certainly uh, easy to miss, I would say. You even have a little bit of the tension between Taz and the king uh, when they're swapping seats. And it's, yes. it's cool. It's fun. I like that. Yeah. Um, a, a nice little throwback to their in-ring days and, and some good stuff there. Um so then we we move on we go into the rvd versus brock lesnar with paul Heyman for mm. the intercontinental championship one of the other things i really liked about this pay-per-view and it happened for all the matches leading up to this but um this is the one that i i i just now thought to say something about it so um they kind of do this on the current pay-per-views but i don't think to the same way i actually really enjoyed the Let's tell you how we got here. <laughs> and they recap the storyline for you. Yeah. So that if you're somebody who candidly like us, just jump back into this thing. Right. But if you're somebody who's just seeing this pay-per-view and you haven't seen the weeks and weeks of buildup, you get that quick 30 second synopsis of, of why these two guys are in the ring together, what their story arc is. Uh, and that was really great. What stands out to me, uh, and I think it's because of Brock Lesnar in particular, what stands out to me about this era, or, well, this era, but uh, this pay-per-view especially is all of those vignettes look like MTV cut them. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It is exceptionally era-specific, and that was the only thing I could think of every time they would do the, let's show you how we got here. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, now the MTV editing team. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was gold. Absolute gold. Yep. Uh, no, I, I fully agree. And I um, love the, the, the music uh, of this era. That's, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm a, a hard rock, you know, heavy metal kind of guy. And, and I, that's one of the things I miss with, with current WWE is the, they've kind of gone, gone away from that, unfortunately, but the, the, the soundtrack is just, guys, it's, it's gold, but yeah. Um, I, you touched on, on, on the recap, and I think that's a really important point to make. Uh, I, I believe it was an episode of, I think business wars or, or one of those podcasts I was listening to about, about Vince McMahon and about kind of um, formulating creating the WWE is one of the, the major things that, that they did um, early in, early on when they were first starting to produce live television 
um, was they started adding those recaps in and that, you know, apparently was one of the things that really, really rocketed their ratings because you, you got people that were casual fans, you got them invested, you know, they could jump on and, and realize, you know, or learn where we're at in the story, what's going on by these quick, you know, recaps. And that was a, that was a big deal. And I think, and to your point, I think, I think it is a big deal. I think that really does, you know, get people that aren't necessarily weekly watchers to be able to be invested in the match. And especially the people that are, that are there in person too. Now one can argue that maybe nowadays they sometimes do that a little bit too much. And they, they sometimes, you know, almost disrespect the viewer and think that we're stupid and don't remember anything, (laughs) but and again, not to, not to put over Triple H too much here, but I have hope that that that's a lot of those kind of things are, are going to change. And we've already seen a little bit a little bit of that so far with the new WWE era. But yeah, I and that that Brock video package was fantastic. Um, oh yeah. WWE production never misses with their with their vignettes with their video packages. They they know how to um, they know how to hype. Most recently, um, and going back to the the Rumble this past year was those vignettes for Brock and Bobby Lashley were were phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And they got people like my wife and my parents that went with me that aren't wrestling fans at all. They were like they were like, "Well, this is a big deal," and and that's that's important. That's part of building the fight. So um, my my thoughts on the actual match itself, though, is I have not watched an RBD match in quite some time, and holy fuck, is he athletic? My oh, yeah. God, I forgot. I forgot how friggin' good he is in the ring, and how and how just athletic he is in terms of doing flips and doing shit off the top rope. Like, good lord, he. I mean, incredible. I, I got to go back and 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 probably through this podcast, I'll get to watch more. But I'm I'm looking forward to really watching more of his stuff because I really forgot just how friggin' good he is. The the other thing about that, and it's you know coming off of indicting Jeff for some of his issues at the time. Uh, I think this is a little different. The thing about that is RVD was that fucking good and that athletic while smoking bricks of marijuana. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. imagine what that dude could have been if he wasn't right. stoned out of his mind all the time. Like, and, and that's not an indictment. I want to be really clear. That's not me saying that he was not great. Yeah, RVD yeah. is so good. And it's just crazy to think about like, man, if he wasn't kind of calming himself down and mellowing himself out, like that dude could have been crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no, good. I agree though. Totally a great matchup too, because you have two very different styles of athleticism, but two just athletic freaks to be honest yeah. in the ring yeah. with each other uh, showcasing that in a very big way. I thought this was a fantastic matchup. Yep. Um, it was a classic RVD match though, in the sense of like, he's got heart and he's, he's not the biggest guy and, but he can still go out there and do it. You know, he's the underdog um, the story of his life. <laughs> so, but uh, no, overall, like I, I thought it was great, uh, great ways to incorporate um, as always, Paul Heyman, he makes a, a great manager in this match, interjects himself in a couple spots, um, in particular the the obvious holding on to RVD's leg at one point. Um, you know, just some really good, good quality content in this matchup for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Any other I, thoughts? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I tend to be critical sometimes of, um non finishes and of disqualification finishes i think this one was an effective use of it i, I think it, it it helps move the story along and it makes it, this one does make me want to see more i want to see you know it, 
I, putting myself back in 2002, if I'm watching this 2002, I want to see it again. I want to see more of these two. And that's the goal, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, rematches and things like that can get stale, but you, if, if they're done right. And if the, and if the matches are, are, are done correctly and the story is told, you want to see more of it. Um, you know, most recently we've seen, um that done with um seth and cody for instance um you know they have these matches that make you want to see it again and i think using that the, the dq finish helps kind of push that along um and really makes you want to want to see more of it and, and like i said I, I tend to be critical of, of that kind of stuff i yeah. think sometimes you know it can be a crutch and it can oh, be a yeah. way to just protect both wrestlers and by having no one win. And, 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 you know, you don't, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see too much of it, but in this right. instance, I think it's, I think it, it works. It makes sense. And it, and yeah, I just great match. And God damn oh, yeah. Rob, Rob Van Dam. God <sighs> RVD, damn. man. <laughs> RVD. No. And I think obviously let's, let's be honest. The reason it was a DQ finish uh, is because they were protecting both wrestlers yes. uh, more so I think you know I don't know that it was necessarily so much trying to protect RVD it was just they knew they didn't want to put the IC title on Brock uh, but they also knew they didn't want Brock to get pinned especially by RVD um, and so because they've already teed us up that you know Brock as Mr. King of the Ring has earned his title match at SummerSlam um, and so we know Brock is going after the uh, at this point, undisputed WWE championship, um, which again, for clarification and anybody that's watched wrestling for a while, but certainly if you're just somebody who, who knows the product today where they have, uh, I guess the universal title and the WWE title, uh, before that it was the WWE title and the world heavyweight championship from WCW. That is why the undisputed title is what it is at this particular point in wrestling is because they have folded the WCW title into the WWE championship. And of course, Vince wanted to stick it in the eye of WCW again. So it's the undisputed WWE champion uh, particularly going back to uh, kind of a nice callback in the, in the way that he, he went about it, I guess, but uh, a very petty callback in that a lot of times on WCW, they would say, well, I'm the only real world champion. And so, and it was true because Vince didn't call his belt, the world title. So um, a great way to, to continue to reinforce that Vince won the Monday night wars and he wants to make damn sure that nobody forgets that he won the Monday Night Wars. <laughs> so. Very true. Very true. <laughs> I agree. I, I mean, you're right with, with them protecting them both. But I think there's a difference in doing it like that when you're protecting both with intentionality and with a plan for the future versus booking a match, booking a DQ finish to protect them both just out of laziness with no with no plan right. for, for, for anything else. Uh, there, there's, exactly. a, there's a big difference there to me. 100%. 100%. All right, so then we go back backstage. This is where we get the reveal uh, in a very great, uh, great storytelling moment with Stephanie. Of uh, she comes out of the office, Eric confronts her, uh, and and then they drop the you know oh well he signed, uh, and then she walks away, and then it's oh psych that's the divorce papers, <laughs> um, and you get to see Eric Bischoff once again look like a fool, uh, and he plays it very very well. 
before so i guess before i move on from that anything else you wanted to say on that little segment or or kind of that through line the last backstage segment that uh we get before triple h would later come out and make his big decision and we get the big uh in the ring segment no nope, i think it i think it, it adds a twist it adds um it adds some intrigue and sets yeah. us up for the decision 100%. Then we jump into, and I don't know how you felt about this match, the most pointless match on the card, in my opinion. Um, it didn't make sense to me. I looked it up to see if there was a big, no pun intended, a <laughs> big uh, storyline between these two. Not that I found any way, but we get Big Show and Booker T coming out and have a pretty decent match. But again, not a match that felt like it had any real stakes to it, in my opinion. Maybe you disagree with me there, but that was was just my feeling on the whole matter. <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I, I, I get you. Um, you know, it it was a good match from an in ring wrestling standpoint. It was good. You know, I, yeah. I didn't, I, I really, I enjoyed it. It was again, again, I, I feel like I said this thirty times. Fast, fun. I know it, it was six minutes. All these match, matches have just been, under six minutes. Yep, exactly. Have been just quick and and, and fast and and. It, wrestling wise it was good but yeah i it it seemed just out of place there wasn't really much of a they didn't really give much backstory on on, on it or in any and yeah it didn't really go anywhere it was just kind of a i don't know a filler match i guess and but yeah i mean i don't yeah. really have a whole lot of thoughts on it other than that it, it was a way from from the research i did here which i want to be really clear was not overly extensive because as i indicated this match didn't interest me that much <laughs> um the biggest point here was they were really trying to to build uh booker t and so they did they put sure. him out there they put him out there with the big show they put him out there with the big show looking kind of fat no offense man <laughs> um, but this was definitely the yeah it looks like he probably kicked back a 30 rack last night and <laughs> forgot he had to be on the fucking show today um because he's got the deep deep dark circles around his eyes yeah, he does. he's got the kind of gruff not fully shaven head and hair i mean uh, no disrespect <laughs> to paul white the dude yeah. is dedicated yeah. he has paid his dues he he coming out of wcw where while i thought his storyline in wcw was dumb as hell he was athletic as hell he probably was sitting on the shelf for a little bit while vince tried to figure out what to do with him and that's why you know when they called him up he probably was drinking a case of beer a day and hanging out and oh yeah no sure i can come out there uh now now paul white if somehow you ever stumble across this podcast and, and have issue with me or anything you're I've fucked said now here, uh, <laughs> i uh i welcome you on the show at any time let's talk about it so book it tony <laughs> book it um but yeah we get a couple big spots we get some cool stuff we get Vince McMahon showing very clearly. He also does not give a fuck about the Spanish audience. Oh as God. at this era of WWE, the number of times the Spanish announce table gets destroyed. And yet again, happens yep. here, of course, yep. before the main event as well. Like, I, I don't know. Did those guys just have to sit on two chairs the rest of the match? Did they have to yeah, stand I, behind JR? No, I think King? they just like, <laughs> sat on chairs. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Sorry. I, I just imagine the, the the WWE like stage crew running out there with just like a card table and be like, uh, <laughs> this is yours now because we destroyed yours. All right. See ya. <laughs> like, yeah. 
Um, but yes, we get also, you know, Booker T's classic spinaroonie celebration as the, mm-hmm. the uh, announcers, you know, celebrate Booker T getting one of his biggest wins in WWE to that point. So yeah. uh, before we transition into easily the, the greatest segment on television, uh, <laughs> Tori Wilson and Don Marie randomly uh talking about some of the most important things to happen uh definitely one of the highest awards in in all of wwe during this era he coveted coveted golden thong award um and and you know jerry the king lawler really loved that segment (laughs) Uh, offered to to get involved, you know, a few times. So, what are what are your thoughts here on on this segment? Because, boy, it's it's two thousand and two. My God, my God. <laughs> um, what can you say? I mean, this is this is very much late nineties, early two thousands WWE. Um, and God, we got the, the horniest commentator on television, uh, of course, having to make his <laughs> make his voice heard. But I don't even know what to, I, I, I they couldn't get away with this shit nowadays. That's for oh, sure. God, no. um, and thankfully, thankfully, they've moved on from this kind of stuff because, yeah, th- this is this is something special. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't I, I, I hope those ladies are paid well. Let's just put it that way. I'm sure they were not because it's 2002 right, WWE. Exactly. Um, exactly. And well, actually, actually, we're not going to well, get into it all, but knowing what we know about Max right now, yeah. you know, they, they might've yeah. been getting some of that money. True. Especially Tori, so money. Yeah. Vince had so much going on with her and storylines in these days. That's very uh, true. But you know, Billy Kidman gets to hang his hat on the fact that his wife won the golden thong award on television in new york of all places you know right. so good good for you billy mm. you're 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 coming out strong brother um yeah no that was so <laughs> rough that was so rough and then and then the king and that was his that was his shtick uh but boy oh boy i mean even you know it's bad when even good old jr like at one point the king tries to draw him into it and he's just like i'm not gonna touch that <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love that Jr. always always keeps it professional. I, I just whenever whenever they have these kind of segments, and really whenever I watch uh, women's wrestling from that era, I just I try to like put myself or imagine that version of King calling like a you know Shayna Baszler and, oh, and Becky Lynch match or something, and, and, and being like that, and just how how abhorrent it would be. You know, there's a there's a part of me that would kind of love to see it, only in the sense of like. <laughs> If you you have the king make that kind of a match call with uh, Shayna Baszler or um, oh god how am I blanking on her name um, oh who is it Ronda Rousey no not Rousey uh, she's in the, the she's oh my god I should be more up to date on my present day WWE she got the black cut hair she she had the the stick with uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio recently oh Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley, that's yeah. it. Imagine the King calling a Rhea Ripley match with Dominic Mysterio's spot that went viral on the internet. 
And the only reason I want that to happen is because I feel like, especially with in, in the Triple H era, again, not to keep putting him over so much and, and putting a lot of faith there, um, but I feel like then they would just have Rhea Ripley go beat the fuck out of the yep. king. And it I, would be kind I'd love of to see funny. It. I'd love like, to see that. <laughs> like, just have her go beat the hell out of him. Um, but, yeah, no. It, it's 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 a, a, something that only could have happened in that era of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And we have since moved on. And yeah. that era of women's wrestling in particular – I will always have a great deal of respect for those women in that yeah. they are the reason that women's wrestling, especially in WWE, has been able to develop into what it has. So, 100%. 100%. Shout out and, to them for being troopers. And like you said, it, it, that can only happen then. And it interests me that, you know, we, we mentioned, obviously, we both watched this on, on you know, WWE Network on Peacock. And I've heard um, that they're kind of starting to, or at least especially when they moved from, you know, this, the WWE Network standalone to Peacock, that they kind of went through and edited some stuff out of their library. So I, I, I wonder if, if it's been, if there's been any thought there with kind of maybe, you know, and, and the thing is, that's not the worst women's segment no. at all. I mean, good lord, you think I mean, of the Edge and Lita. I was up. like, I mean, Edge basically <laughs> had sex with Lita on live TV. Like, <laughs> it's, it, you, you wonder if they're going to get to the point where, where they start, you know, maybe thinking, huh, maybe we should kind of, because, you know, Vince and WWE are the kings of brushing shit under the rug and just pretending like things didn't happen. So, oh, you know, oh. I, I, I could see those, those things maybe getting, getting edited out someday in the future. I don't know. You know, I could, I could very much see it. Um, one thing to their credit is the golden thong award competition <laughs> is not on WWE network or Peacock. No, I didn't look. I just looked it up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sure. I just, just, just doing up. research. Just doing my, you know, I just, <laughs> might have went and found an orange and black website that had. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> orange is the new black. Uh, <laughs> so moving right along, though, to uh, the payoff to the big through storyline throughout this entire thing. Uh, in my opinion, a, a fantastic segment. I thoroughly yes. enjoyed it. Um, again, having that caveat of it reeks of vince mcmahon um and it reeks of exactly who he likes and doesn't like and the story he wanted told um but we get triple h coming out in his his good old jeans and t-shirt um and the i gotta say this and, and this is certainly a a uh a, a product of the times and in, in terms of today 2022 uh all i could think when I watched Triple H's entrance was, man, we're really lucky. He was pretty much done with entering competition by 2020 because he could not do the whole water spit thing with COVID out there, man. Like tossing that water bottle and spitting water all over people. The fuck are you doing, Paul? That's not sanitary. How many people did you get sick, man? How many people did you fuck up? Right. It's funny uh, you mentioned that because there was a in, in the Thunderdome era, or actually I think this was when they in the Performance Center. Um, they did they did a celebration of his. I think it was there's a birthday or like a anniversary of some. I can't remember what it was, but they were celebrating Triple H, and he came out with a water bottle and he walked up to the ring, and one of the producers ran out and like ripped it from <laughs> his hand <laughs> as, as, as a nod to yeah, you can't do this anymore. Which is, I thought it was funny. <laughs> hysterical i did not know that. i love that yeah. i absolutely love that 
Um, but yeah, so he comes out, then we get Eric Bischoff come out uh, and give his, his last minute pitch. And then Stephanie comes out uh, and gives her last minute pitch. We get again, uh, maybe something that, that could unfold on TV today. Uh, but we get uh, one of my favorite lines uh, from triple H when he's talking to the two of them. And he's like, you know, Eric, I could tell you to, uh, you know, fuck you and you'd whatever. And Stephanie, I could say, fuck you. And well, I know you like it. And I yeah. actually thought that was fucking hilarious. Like, candidly, mm. Hilarious content. So, uh, but what are, what are your thoughts here? What do you want to dive into with this segment? Yeah, I, I thought it was really well done. Um, I enjoyed Bischoff slipping up and almost saying WCW. Um, I, I did catch that. That, that was entertaining. I'm glad you mentioned that because yes, that like caught my attention in a heartbeat. Like, yep. you know, you're definitely one of the greatest W WE superstars. <laughs> yep. And you're like, oop. <laughs> you know, you know he got near full backstage after that from Gorilla. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I think one of the one of the highlights of this for me is um, you know, there there's people out there, and I'm I'm not one of them, but that that really kind of knock on triple h on the mic and you know i think he don't really like his his on mic work um but i thought he did a great job with this he he obviously carried the segments he had lots of like you said great zingers um the whole i've got testicles and you don't i mean there's just <laughs> there's there's great stuff there and i think he really did a good job of of driving the segments um and stephanie and, and eric i think supported him in a great way um obviously the the twist of the the heartbreak kid coming out and, and influencing this the decision um was also awesome and, and one of the biggest pops of the night when he came out which rightfully so it's 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 Shawn michaels oh, yeah. um but yeah i i really I, I really thought it was really well done it was a good payoff tied everything together with a, with a nice little bow um from all the all the previous segments and it really moved moved us along and and it felt important that was one of the biggest things um for me about this whole story is it felt important and i kind of touched yeah. on it earlier it felt like a big deal triple h felt like a big deal um and goddamn those fucking jeans Whew, <laughs> man oh man i wish i could rock those those are some those are those are right out of 1994 <laughs> <Yes>. um <laughs> but no great great segment um it went the perfect amount of time i don't think they, they didn't drag it out um like like right. some of the stuff you see with with those kind of things um but i, I really and and the the rubbing it in stephanie's face thing uh, with, with eric acting like a freaking kid on on, on christmas i think yeah. it, it, it felt it felt real i mean and that and that's what that's the goal that's what you want you want something that really feels real and this one did for me a hundred percent i think one of the things i liked about it too and it's ironic considering we just said how good wwe is at pretending shit just didn't happen um this in a in a subtle way like if you don't know any of the stuff some of the some of the zingers and things don't matter as much but if you had followed or you're aware of the attitude era the monday night wars the history of stephanie and triple h all of that it does a really good job of of calling back to that you know with, with the hey didn't eric bischoff tell you when you first tried to get into wrestling that you were a no talent hack and then hey i do remember that eric fuck you <laughs> uh and then oh well didn't stephanie like you know all of these things and so there's such good 
good dynamics at play and, and good mentions. And then even bringing out triple or not triple H HBK um, to come out and talk to triple H you get, you get him calling back to all of their history together and, and all of the stuff that, that they brought up and, and, and came up with together uh, back in the day, which I'd be remorse not to, not to make a real quick 2022 plug here. And this is, if we haven't already, certainly going to date this quite an irony that, uh, you know, the greatest storytelling in wrestling history, I think uh, back in the day when W or when D generation X primarily Sean and triple H made the statement that they were going to take over wrestling entertainment. Well, they literally are now. Yep. <laughs> They're both in charge of wrestling, WWE wrestling entertainment. So yeah. uh, a little bit of hilarious uh, irony again with that hindsight and, and being able to look at it from this situation and be like, Oh, if you two only knew, if you two only knew what your future holds. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah, having, having Sean come out, and really sway him over after he's kind of made the commitment to stick around on SmackDown with Stephanie and then sway him over. Ultimately, um, one of the things that happens with that is the very next night on Raw, they go out together and it's like, oh boy, DX. And then you get Triple H essentially making a heel turn, beating the fuck out of Shawn Michaels and thus launches a, a story arc there to have a payoff at SummerSlam and get Sean back in the back in the ring on pay-per-view for the first time since I think it was like WrestleMania 14 at that point. Um, and so, again, some really cool payoffs going on uh, there. And, and then, as you said, having, having Eric Bischoff, just like a little schoolgirl... <laughs> essentially giddy uh when he wins that big shit-eating grin that he gets that's that classic eric bischoff grin uh it's the same shit-eating grin he had when he went out on wcw live tv and said i have beat vince mcmahon um you see that and obviously this is all storyline but i imagine to some degree he was tapping into that again uh with he's getting to beat a mcmahon uh, and then obviously backstage, like we said at the earlier on in the show, uh, Vince loves raw <laughs> to the point that he would frequently go out of his way to handicap SmackDown <laughs> when it would start doing really well and, and encroaching on raw. But uh, so really cool to see Eric Bischoff have the reins of that show. Uh, and then Stephanie, I forgot how good she was as a GM character um i remember stephanie's storylines from you know god forbid the uh the dark order days i remember stephanie's storyline as basically always the damsel in distress that got kidnapped <laughs> um and the and the little you know princess of vince mcmahon here and and even her theme song i totally forgot her her theme music uh that's like, i'm all grown up um and so she she kills it in this segment uh, top to bottom here and just a beautiful fucking smack across Bischoff who sells it like none other yeah. uh, and does an excellent job and then and then not picked up on the mic but very clearly on camera fucking bitch mm-hmm. <laughs> whenever it cuts back to her so uh, a lot of fun there a lot of good stuff there um, but moving us right along here to some more backstage segments you get you get Rikishi <laughs> you get <laughs> You get Booker T and another character that, look, 
good on Dustin Rhodes. That man has gone through so much yeah. in his, his personal life <laughs> and in his character's life. And this was sure the era of Vince McMahon being like, fuck it, just go be weird. I want you to be a freak. Uh, and yeah. he, dude was good at it. <laughs> dude was damn good at it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about joysticks. We're, we're t- I, I just, this is another we're- one. This is weird. <laughs> this is really yeah. weird. <laughs> I mean, the moment, and maybe I should know, God, you know, forgive me on this, but the moment that the female interviewer comes in and he just covers himself up, yeah. I don't even know if you noticed that, but he very I much did. the entire time holds his hands over yes. his junk and it's just like, yep, that's that's gold dust. <laughs> so. This is just a weird segment. Uh, again, especially like the placement of it between between the Triple H's decision and the, the tag team match next. I just it was just an odd segment. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I, it, it, I, I didn't necessarily like it that much. It just felt kind of weird and, and out of place. Um, but yeah, like you said, props to props to Goldust because man, oh man, he's been put through the ringer. <laughs> he has, he has, which is why uh, in 2022 I, I was pretty glad to see um, him basically. You know, when Cody and this is a whole nother thing, but when Cody would leave AEW to go back to WWE uh, and apparently, you know, really tried to get his brother to come with him and Dustin was like, nah, fuck that dude. I, <laughs> I ain't putting I on have... the paint again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I ain't fucking doing that. Um, no, I agree. This is a really weird segment. It makes you uncomfortable. Maybe that was the point. Um, this is also the era of that. Like even in, in Hollywood movies of like, weird uncomfy humor i mean this is the era of, of american pie this is the era yeah, of you know, all of that style of comedy so very different style of comedy from what we see today my favorite part about the whole segment candidly was gold dust drops the joystick thing uh, and then walks away and booker t just goes i'm just gonna ignore that anyway <laughs> but it was like yeah that's that's how you should react that's that how room. i would react if i were in that room yeah pretty much yeah, just be like all right, well, that just happened anyway. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you already alluded to it. We go into uh, the strangest tag team. I totally forgot these guys tag. Yes. Um, you get, you get, uh, well, first you get the Un-Americans, Christian and Lance Storm, which I have mm-hmm. a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, I want to want to briefly dive into this with you. But going up against WWE Tag Team Champions, Edge and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Yes. What? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, Edge, Edge. In case, again, in case you didn't hear, Edge living out his dream of of tagging with winning a championship with Hulk Hogan. Um, and notably, Hulk Hogan's first and possibly only—I honestly don't remember—WWE Tag Team Championship. Yeah, I, yeah. So what a bizarre. You think about the career of Hogan, and that's I feel like is a bizarre asterisk, like. You mm-hmm. wouldn't think, oh, the, the first time he ever won the tag titles, it was with Edge, not yeah, yeah. Macho Man, Randy Savage, not NWO. Uh, the NWO, yeah. not, hell, not Ric Flair. Like, yeah. none of these guys that are from his era, it's Edge. <laughs> and then going up against Christian and Lance Storm, 
which I also forgot how long WWE leaned into the Christian and Edger brothers story mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but boy, they remind you like 10 times during mm-hmm. this match mm-hmm. uh, that Christian, who I'm pretty sure is the same age, if not older than Edge, yeah. is supposed to be Edge's little brother. Little brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, funny. Uh, but what did you think of this match? What did you think of the segments? Yeah. Uh, yeah thoughts there's a lot to unpack here um first off so um my my wife actually sat down and watched this one with me i don't know what she just was around and she's by no means a wrestling fan um but she definitely knows wrestling she knows wrestlers i mean i'm, I'm watching it all the time so she she picks up on stuff she kind of knows how it works you know that that kind of that kind of thing and she just kept saying wow this looks really really fake like this looks just this looks fake and i said yeah that's because Hogan is doing some of the worst no selling I've ever seen. The dude is is not selling a damn thing, and he, and his movement is so stiff and slow. He's I, almost I mean, fifty years old, right? Oh, well, and, and yeah, in yeah. the ring and with that, these twenty year olds, right, right. And, and that's you know, I'll, I'll give him credit there. But my God, this just it did it didn't look good. Whenever Hogan was in the ring, it just didn't look good. I mean, he was no. missing shit. He was, and then like I said, he just, he really didn't sell much of anything um and and it's and that made it you know when 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 you're when you're when your opponent's not selling that makes it look fake i mean that's just that's the the, the fact of the matter and that's what she kept saying i was like yeah you're you're 100 right um you know i i think that the other three of them did, did a good job i think it, it was it was good but you could tell you could tell they were really 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 trying to focus on hogan in this and really you know you know put the focus of the match and the big the big moments of the match when he was in the ring um you know you you got a couple of hot tags from edge um you know of course you got you got a leg drop you got the fucking weird running around the ring deal and spinning around um but you could you could tell this was to try to get make a moment you know create a moment get a big pop and it really didn't I, the crowd didn't seem to really give a shit about Hogan. Uh, you know, it's almost like Vince should have realized over the past 20 years that every time they prayed him out here, it, it doesn't fucking work. Maybe he got, maybe he got it last time when he was the host of WrestleMania 38, was it 37? Uh, when he got booed. Yeah. When he came out, when it was him, and, he, he, they decided they decided it would be genius to make him and Titus O'Neil co-hosts, and, and that was in Tampa Bay, right? That was in Tampa Bay. I, Tampa? I think that was 37. Yeah. Um, and every time Titus would talk, the crowd would go nuts. And then as soon as he talked, <laughs> boo, it's like, come on, Vince, they don't stop doing this. Stop. It's not. Them it's not throats. the '80s anymore, it, bro. Nope, nope. <laughs> he ain't telling kids to eat their vitamins and say their prayers. But no, no this he's, he's slinging racial slurs. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's what he's doing. He's making sex tapes. Um, <laughs> no, I. This was not it for me. This was just not good. Um, in, in my opinion, like I said, no disrespect to Edge. I, I, Edge, I love Edge, one of my oh, favorite yeah. wrestlers ever. And oh, Christian yeah. and Lance Storms, you know, same stuff. They, they, they did they did well with what they were given. Um, but this was this was to get Hogan on a pay-per-view, try to get a pop, and, and it just didn't work. I think, uh, so first, and again, there's a whole story to this. Maybe we can dive more into this some other time. But you mentioned, uh, we obviously mentioned the sex tape there. My favorite part about that whole saga of Hogan's life, and I, I don't know if you if you knew this, but uh, the way that he won that court case against Gawker 
was he went to court and testified that Hulk Hogan is just a character. Terry Beloa, the man, has a very small penis and should not be publicly made fun of. Um, <laughs> and, I did not know that. <laughs> and he testified in court that Terry Beloa, the man, has a small to average size penis. He is not a big star. He, that's why it's a shame that the sex tape got released because they're attacking Terry Below the Man, Wild. not Hulk Hogan, the character. Wild. Uh, <laughs> so definitely, uh, I think there the po- I, I heard that on a podcast. I think it might have been called like uh, Legal Wars, Legal Wars podcast by Wondery. There's uh, like five episodes about Hogan's Gawker case, and they like read some of the court transcripts. It's fucking hysterical hogan's best work absolutely (laughs) hogan's best work that's great that's great um but one of my thoughts something i couldn't help but think and and i don't necessarily want to go on a huge tangent on this but i i I have to bring it up the un-americans in this era their shtick makes them really reviled heels Mm -hmm. 2022 you run that same promo i i think they're the face for most yeah. people you get the right audience in there for sure <laughs> they're for sure the face i think like, you're 100 right there was and i don't want to dive into all the all the politics that's not this show but there were so many things that they were saying that i'm like this is like modern day political rhetoric <laughs> literally <laughs> like this is something that for a very specific crowd now maybe that is not the wwe crowd um even today i'm not sure but like i couldn't help but feel man vince like had a fucking crystal ball to look into the future (laughs) on that one or just got and this is most likely the case as was multiple times got real fucking lucky and how how the parallels of what they were saying uh, are things that you could still march them out and say today um so some real interesting stuff going on there in my opinion I, i don't know if you had any thoughts on that yeah, I think you're right. You know, maybe not the WWE crowd because I mean, there, there. I, I was at. I went to Raw. Was here in my in my town over uh, Memorial Day. It was actually on Memorial Day, and I was there. And they did the classic, nice. you know, rah rah, you know, America vignettes, and the whole arena was chanting USA, USA, and you know. So maybe maybe not WWE, but I think you run that team in AEW, and I think I think they get over. I think they get over oh, yeah. spaces as kind of the anti-establishment, you know. I think you're right. I, I, I think there it, it is interesting to look at it from that perspective of, you know, wrestling kind of and, and wrestling characters really do kind of have to have this deep entanglement with just what's going on in society and, and what's yeah. going on with, in culture. And, and it, it, it's what it is. Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're reviled. Like you said, I think you used the word reviled and that's, that's accurate because they're, they're, they're hated back then, but you know, you do it the right way. There's a, there's a, there's a place for that nowadays on the other side of things um, oh, yeah. for, for sure. The one thing I think my favorite part of this match, um, and maybe this is sad, but my favorite part of this match was Jericho's yeah. involvement. Um, I, I, I think it was well done. It came out of nowhere. I loved him, him, um, the way they did the camera angle of him running off kind of into the crowd and just, and getting out of that, getting out of Dodge. Yep. Uh, great heat got him great heat 
Um, so I, that that I think was was really well done. I really liked I really liked the, the role Jericho played. Agreed, and I I have to imagine watching that live for the first time that night uh, for the fans that you know had been following each weekly episode leading up to it so on and so forth had to just be pretty like stunning because jericho was not a part of the un-americans at that time right he he didn't have any actual official affiliation at that time so to have him come out make the appearance be ultimately the the decider in the match and then Mm -hmm. like you said scamper off into the crowd get the fuck out of dodge was was pretty fantastic i uh i think one last thought on on kind of the concept of the un-americans though i couldn't help and this is probably me just leaning too much into a stereotype on this i couldn't help but kind of find it funny though that like the 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 super like badass fuck you america people we're all Canadians, and it's like yeah, historically yeah. the one country in the whole <laughs> fucking world that has not had a major issue with America. Yeah. And you take those guys to be like, yeah, have them say fuck you to all these guys. Right. right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but anyway, the match itself, like you said, wasn't great. I think that the three, three guys did their damnedest. Hogan showed up. And basically was a bump on a log. Um, And of course, because it doesn't make any fucking sense anyway, Hogan and Edge end up losing. Uh, Their tag team history fades away and nobody ever talks about it. Again, literally didn't even remember it until they walked out together. Well, not even together, until they came out and they were like, Mm -hmm. those guys are the tag champions. Because they also didn't even make a reference to it earlier in the show when we see Hogan. The oh. closest you get is Ric Flair saying, I'm worried about the young guys like Jeff Hardy and Edge. And I guess that was like, that was supposed to be that. That was supposed to be like, oh yeah, because you know, Hogan and Edge. <laughs> like, you'd you'd um, think he'd have the belts over his shoulder or something and you know, it's a championship. <laughs> you'd yeah. think he'd carry it. <laughs> but nope. <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, yeah. he's got too many fucking feathers. <laughs> All his feathers and then his <laughs> his his fat fat man belt that he puts on yeah. and then like yeah. weirdly took off at the yes. beginning of the match yes. and then like puts it back on and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what do you got going on, dude? But uh, it was it was odd. And then and then yeah, he he was using that to like mime like he hit him with belts like you see as as the americans are walking up he's he's like using that like it just just the dumbest absolute yeah. dumbest so leaving that one behind just like history <laughs> did um, yep. we then move forward to uh another backstage segment here nice little uh well, there's, I guess, a little bit with uh, Kurt Angle and Eric Bischoff. Yeah. Um, you know, again, this adds to that intrigue of, especially at this time with the brand split, the new brand split, like it really did feel like they were two separate companies trying to poach each other away. Right. Um, and I loved it because it sets up a great tease for, you know, what we would get way later. Um when you have Bischoff trying to convince uh, Kurt Angle to come over and then you have the bit with Stephanie where she's just like, Hey, 
he's got to do what he's got to do. I'm going to do what I got to do. And we're gearing up to make some big moves. And then you're not, you're not wrong. She ends up bringing over a bunch of pe- people shortly thereafter. Now the tee up of she's going to rip the heart out of raw. And then the, the big move being that she got Brock Lesnar um, huge at the time. Right. Also though, like would not consider Brock, the heart of raw like the dude was a rookie up and comer he was a huge name vince was Mm -hmm. pushing him to the fucking moon and back but also like the heart of raw no like that should (laughs) have been hey we're bringing over hbk hey we're bringing over like somebody somebody else that you know maybe was on raw during the the monday night wars and was a staple of raw somebody that like something like that so for me, knowing how that segment ultimately ended, um, yeah, it was cool. But the heart of Raw was was not worth as much time as they dedicate to it because then, you know, for the next several minutes, you get the king asking JR, what do you think that means? Who do you think that is? What do you think that means? And it's like, yeah. What did that oh, mean? <laughs> I don't have an earthly idea. <laughs> I don't know, but we have a match. Shut <laughs> the fuck up. <laughs> sometimes I, I, that's what's in my, I just, it's got to be in his head, right? It's, he's got to just be, like, sometimes he's got to just be like, shut the fuck up, king. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, love that they're, again, Eric's back there. He's he's pushing. He's courting these wrestlers. He's trying to build his roster. He's trying he's to hustling. make it the best. He's hustling exactly. And Stephanie's doing the same thing. And an important thing to point out here is that by doing that and by making that feel so important, making that brand split feel important, making those GMs so passionate about making their brands the best, is it creates that same passion and loyalty in the fans. And mm-hmm. when you create that kind of passion, and you create that kind of you know arguments. Oh, you know, back then people were all oh, raw. I like raw. Raw's raw's the spirit brand. Oh, I'm a SmackDown guy. You know, you have those conversations, you have those arguments. It builds, it builds interest, it builds passion, it just makes it more interesting, and it makes the fans, it gives the fans another thing to be. Uh, more passionate about and, and more interest more invested in is yeah. is the different you know their their teams so to speak yep. i think that's important i think that's that's that was the end goal i think of doing the brand split and i think it, it it worked and i think it was it was successful so oh i i completely agree so because you brought it up i gotta ask growing up were you a raw guy or were you a smackdown guy so that's that's interesting. I I was a SmackDown guy, and I'll tell you I'll tell you why. I I um so I, when I grew up, like when, right when I started started getting into wrestling, I didn't have cable. So SmackDown was the only because was that was when SmackDown was in the CW network. SmackDown was the only one I could watch live. So what I would do is I watched SmackDown live, and then I would go in online and, and watch you know YouTube of the of Raw and um you know the next on the next the day after or whatever. So I kept up with both, and I watched all the matches just not live. But I just um some of my favorite some of my favorite memories, my favorite wrestlers were, were all on SmackDown. So I was a SmackDown guy. Maybe, maybe I was just trying to be a be an you know an anti anti-establishment but (laughs) hey i i gotta be honest man same boat like i to my core still to this day will watch the smackdown we've talked about this i don't have i still don't have cable uh so i don't really get to watch a lot of any of the shows live uh i get to watch the pay-per-views live ironically or i guess premium live events yeah, okay, excuse, you. excuse you um 
And so I grew up, SmackDown was what was on television. I, I followed SmackDown from uh, the CW network over to that weird stint where it was on like in my, in the St. Louis area, it, it was uh what was it like 24 two or something. It was yeah. like a weird, uh-huh. <coughs> weird channel that yep. it made no sense. SmackDown was on uh, then over to Fox whenever it eventually made its way there. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was always big on SmackDown. I watched it live. My favorite wrestlers were on SmackDown. My favorite all-time wrestler, because I guess I'm basic, is The Undertaker. Same. Obviously, The Undertaker. That SmackDown is his yard. Yep. Um, I loved it. Um, again, I mentioned it earlier. My favorite memories are literally, well, look here, playa. Tonight, you yep. go one-on-one with The Undertaker. Uh, with Teddy Long and, and yeah. then the story arcs with Vicky Guerrero and, and yeah. that can be a whole nother episode oh, sometime. God, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was always a SmackDown loyalist to the core. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I, the only time I would ever really get to watch Raw uh, was I had a family member that lived across town that occasionally I'd get to go over and watch it with him. In particular, though, it was usually ch- some of the bigger shows such as the the draft when they would mm-hmm. have the draft on Monday night raw and he was always a raw guy and I was always a SmackDown guy. And like, we would have these, you know, really heated watch parties watching the the draft occur and things like that. And, and so, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. I feel like SmackDown candidly, like SmackDown has had some of the best stories in wrestling mm-hmm. uh, in particular in WWE. And there's a lot of folks in the, in the aftermath of all this that will openly admit there was a time when SmackDown was gearing up to overtake Raw. Like they, yeah. they did it. And then Vince was like, not today. And <laughs> sank nope. it as hard as he could. Yeah. Um, and, and wanted to make sure that Raw stayed the A show, the flagship, and SmackDown stayed the B show. But the other thing that I think made SmackDown so great was specifically because Vince was constantly essentially trying to make it the B show, you only had one or two really huge names on SmackDown. So you get to showcase kind of what NXT does now. Yeah. You get to showcase these young guys that you were never going to see on Raw, a main mm-hmm. event. You got to see these guys build themselves up. Uh, now, the downside of that was if they really did catch on, usually Vince would come go to Raw. up and send yeah. them to Raw. Yeah. But um, the other part of it was, though, you got to see guys that – you know, had kind of fallen out of Vince's favor, but were still really cool. So I think of like Kane, when Kane would get constantly kicked off a of Raw because I guess Vince got bored or didn't know what to do with him, and so he would send him back. And so SmackDown, you you got a good mix of folks. Uh, but with that, with SmackDown, oh, did you have yeah. something you wanted to say there? No, I was gonna. I'm actually the question I thought you were gonna ask me. I'll now counter and ask you. Um, Currently, 2022, you know, WWE has trimmed down their roster quite a bit. They definitely don't have as big a roster as they did back then. And there's been a lot of chatter online of ending the brand split. Mm. What are your thoughts there? Do you think there's a benefit or do you think keep them separate, keep them, keep going the way they've been going? I think we did a relatively recent run where Vince didn't have the brand split. And it was, you know, the whole shtick was, well, everybody can be everywhere. And da, da, da. I think they need to keep it, man. I think it adds intrigue. I think it adds, an, like I said, an opportunity to showcase different wrestlers. And it adds an opportunity to have some really good storylines. I mean, there were even some really good, ironically, 
probably better invasion angle storylines between SmackDown and Raw than when Vince ran the invasion angle from WCW. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really like that. And then it it allows for when you want to have a Roman Reigns who is is the universal champion uh, and moves and can move between the brands. Like I think that even creates a, a, a different degree of intrigue especially because at any time that they want, really, they could split the two titles and send one back to SmackDown and one back to Raw and have that where, you know, you can lose on one night and and still have a title belt to go back to SmackDown with. Um, I also just think at this point, again, there are so many, like, big moments that have occurred because of the split. There's some really good storytelling. If you do it right, you can do with the WWE draft. I always Mm -hmm. think, obviously, we all know it's storyline and stage, but... Like, I get invested in the WWE draft when it happens as if it's the fucking NFL draft. Like, oh, my God, who's going to get called? Whose name is it going to be? And, I mean, I even remember – I don't remember exactly what year it was, but I remember the year – uh, the year of John Cena, when they sent him back to SmackDown, but they had like, he got drafted by SmackDown and then Raw drafted him back. And then he ends up going back to SmackDown at the end of it and things like that. And so there's just some cool stuff you can do with it. Um, and especially in a post Vince WWE, I think there's some really cool storylines you can do. Um, especially if they do something cool again with NXT and knock off NXT 2.0. Uh, that looks like it belongs on the Nickelodeon show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think there's some really cool ways to have a, a, a good brand split between those three shows um, that allows you to build better storylines and better characters. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I wholly agree. Uh, I, I would really, really be really be upset if, if they ended it, to be honest. I, I just think it, it gives you the opportunity to create so many different stories i i just think that that's that's the main thing is and going back to the fact that you you, you build loyalty um to, to two different shows under the same umbrella um i think that's that's also you know just just as important um so yeah i i would hate to see it go um you know you you're gonna lose i mean one of your oldest pay-per-views i don't know how you build the interest in survivor series if you don't have a brand split um so uh, you know there's that oh yeah oh yeah no it it, there's there's so much i think that you you just lose if you merge the rosters again and drop one of the shows or or lose that brand split in, in that way um and especially when you're trying a trying to compete with a new like legitimate contender in the wrestling space uh with aew right um it allows an opportunity for and i don't know this is certainly how vince always handled it i don't i don't think this is necessarily how triple h is going to handle it but it allows an opportunity to try stuff out on one show yeah and if it doesn't work like you don't have to do it across the entire thing whereas if you merge it all into one if you have a storyline that you start on SmackDown, you have to carry that across everything um, because it's, it's everybody is everywhere now. Um, and that creates, in my opinion, stale storytelling because you're mm-hmm. more afraid to take risks because you don't mm-hmm. have if, if that story sucks, you don't have something to, to counteract it that you can then like transition that story into something else. 
Whereas now with the brand split, if they do something that starts out really crappy on Raw, they just don't even have to really address it on SmackDown. Right. And by next week's Raw, they can find a way to fix it or change it or mm-hmm. in classic WWE fashion, just be like, and that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Forget about that. Yeah, Nobody that's cares. Fine. That's an, <laughs> more so, than a thing. <laughs> so, um, but we've had, we've had a lot of buildup. We've had a lot of intrigue. We move into the main event match, which was the longest of the night, which was actually like, in my opinion, shockingly good yeah um because a triple threat match can easily devolve into just crap um because you have one wrestler that just kind of gets stuck in a corner because these guys are fighting or you have but i thought it was a really good match and obviously it helps that you have the undertaker the rock and (laughs) kurt angle as the three guys in this match but uh what do you want to dive into first with this um I thought I think it's interesting that they almost like I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, but they Kurt was kind of the oh, I don't want to say the bitch of this match, but like that's how it felt. And, and when you think about Kurt Angle, you know that's not typically a role he plays, <laughs> but like you know, especially right from the start. And then they, I mean, they built it that way. I mean, I mean, first of all, that fucking video package going into it oh, oh my god loved man. it the, the, the music the, the clips i mean that like you said it was raw fucking mtv shit uh oh, wow. right there but it was that's at the stage but right when they started you know it, it was like the rock and taker were squaring off and and kurt angle was almost like a little puppy like hey i'm here too what about me <laughs> and then they forget. of course turn on him and just beat the <laughs> piss out of him but i just thought that was that was interesting because that's not usually that's not typically the role he plays you know he's an olympian he's a he's usually a um top guy but it was just in the in this role he was kind of the, the odd man out but yeah what a great match what a great main event i mean there was so much i think to talk about when it comes to um like the move sets for instance i loved how they were all using each other's moves yeah i i i I, I really like that. Um, I think that's a that's a that's that's great storytelling in terms of just getting in each other's heads. Oh yeah, um, that's that's something that it feels like you only, especially in today's era, you only ever get to see in, in the in the WWE video games, right? Like that yeah. was that was the only time you got to see that stuff. And then to have these three really high profile wrestlers do each other's moves was was awesome. To yeah, see. that was cool. That was super cool. So. Yeah, I mean, start to finish, there were some brutal spots. Um, oh, a yeah. couple shoulder spots, um, or not not just shoulder, shoulder and head spots that Kurt Angle took with the ring post, like the oh, one yeah. where he got thrown into it, hit the shoulder. That just looked brutal. Um, and, and the head spot too. But any and you know that shit's is probably as close to real as possible because just because if Kurt Angle he puts his body through it, he um, does. <laughs> but yeah, really, really good stuff there. Um, I think from a storyline perspective, I think the right man won. I think you, I think they did it right. If you're gonna put the, the belt on the Rock, you have him. You, you, you know, you don't have him pin the Undertaker, um, right? Which is good. And that again, that that concept of a triple threat match is is often used kind of kind of as a way to change the title without pinning the champion. Yeah, that can become lazy. I mean, that can become overutilized but if you don't overutilize it i mean i think it's a good way to do that um yeah. but they just put on a banger of a match i mean plain and simple um 
great spots. They all got some really good, really good spots in. Every single one of them looked strong and looked good um, throughout the course of the match. I mean, of course, she got Kurt Angle, you know, bleeding like a stuffed pig, as JR would say, <laughs> and I think did say. Um, he did say. <laughs> of course, of course he did. <laughs> but no, good shit. I what I loved about it is is they did the triple threat match right in that um it allowed for them to do a 20 minute high adrenaline yeah. high paced match without slowing down the action because when one of the guys needed a breather it was okay he's going to get you know tossed into the barricade and he's going to be there for a couple of minutes while you know the rock and the undertaker beat the shit out of each other or while kurt angle beats the shit out of the rock and they fight you know there was a really good way to do that and have just a non-stop action um so that was that was really cool one thing that i i need to mention on this is uh, that's definitely different at least the last time i saw one um than present day wwe product is by default at this era all triple threat matches were no dq no count out um, so by default, they were just out there beating the fuck out of each other. Mm-hmm. I know at least most recently, again, this may have changed in, in the past couple months or certainly may change moving forward. I know that is not the case on a default triple threat match, um, anymore. So really cool to see that. But, uh, one of the things that made it, made it work, like I said, was that they could essentially interchange each other without having this this really big slowdown or this really big breaks occur. Uh, and you could have a lot of fantastic, on top of the spots from using each other's moves, using their own movesets, whatever, you had some really awesome uh, near falls um, and, that occur where they're diving in, they're pulling somebody out of the ring, they're pulling the, the referee out of the ring, this, that, and the other. There was one moment, though, uh, that it was clear – I don't even, I think it might've been Undertaker was late because Earl Hebner just very plainly goes one, two, and then just clearly stops as the Undertaker like dives. And it was like, all right, Um, but good on Earl Hebner for being cognizant enough to, to do that. Um, And then they actually had one that was very clearly a three count, (laughs) like like so clearly a three count, but it was like, Oh, we got a shoulder up right before the third. Uh Like, okay, come on. But uh, still it was great. It was great intrigue. And and in fact, even having that, like, Oh, that was the three count, right? No, he got a shoulder up, right. You know, I just couldn't stop my hand uh, adds to the intrigue of it. Yeah. The, the only thing I, I have to say on this, and as, as I've already said, The Undertaker is hands down, always has been, always will be my favorite wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, the American Badass is not my favorite version of The Undertaker. Um, and one of the reasons for that is, and it showed up, not, not horribly, but it showed up in this match, is uh, he, was, he was just out of shape <laughs> as, as The American Badass a lot of times. And there was one point in the match where now, because he's still a younger guy, he was able to push through it and be just fine. Not like Taker in his later years, which God love him. But there was a point in the match where he very clearly was just blown out. Like at one point he's standing in the middle of the ring and he's literally like, Oh, and clearly just heavy breathing. Like, okay, what the fuck am I? Oh yeah. I got a power (laughs) bomb you now. (laughs) Whereas again, no disrespect to him we would see in his later years that moment happened and him literally 
not know what the fuck he's supposed to do next because he's probably got three concussions, Brock Lesnar. Um, <laughs> yep. yep. So. No, I'm right there with you. I, 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 he's my favorite of all time as well. And I was actually going to ask you what your, what your thoughts are on the American Badass. And I'm, I'm in the exact same boat. I, I think that, that that's not my least favorite version of, of The Undertaker. I just think also he is a more slow and methodical kind of wrestler. Yes. And the, the dead man just, and the, the phenom, you know, that, that just fits his, his in-ring style better. I think 100%. too, but to your, 100%. to your point about the triple threat, it, the funny thing is that actually it, it is still the default, but the problem is oh. they, they don't always say it ah. like the, or they'll say it once and, but it won't like nothing, nothing will happen. They'll like, never they, use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. That's the <laughs> thing. Like you can, you can tell almost, and again, this is, you know, Vince era, and hopefully it'll change, but you could tell when it was going to be a true no DQ, because they'd really say, and, and by nature, it's a real threat match, you know, this is no disqualifications, you know, but, but and, and they'd really drive that home, and then, you know, they'd get out chairs and shit, but yeah, yeah th- there's a lot of matches that are triple threats in, in recent time where, like, they won't even mention it, or they'll mention it briefly, and just not, like, nothing crazy will happen, so, so yeah, I, I, I appreciate the fact that these guys are like, yeah, this is a fucking no DQ match, and we're gonna treat it as such. Like, if, if, <laughs> if you take advantage of that, disqualified, <laughs> yes, I'm going to beat the shit out of you with steel steps. That's just what's gonna happen. Like, yes. why would I not? <laughs> exactly. It's like you wouldn't walk into a street fight and not use everything at your disposal. Yeah, and that's exactly. that's what this is supposed to be. Exactly. Um, one of my favorite spots in the match, though. Uh, just because it's so funny and it is classic the rock um was was when he makes yes <laughs> yes was when he makes fun of the undertaker's motorcycle <laughs> and it so was good. just such perfect timing yeah it was so good and it's like <laughs> not that not that you ever can forget i think how good the rock was back yeah. then but it's always like every time I see it, it is just like, damn, he was that uh, yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and and even when like when when Kurt Angle puts the ankle lock on him, mm. uh, and he's like, damn, he is selling the shit yeah. out of that. Like it he looks sells. like Kurt is yeah. trying to break his fucking ankle. Yep. Uh, and in reality, Kurt's just giving him a little bear hug up there. But, right. Um, no, The Rock in this sells his ass off. Yes. They, they all do, but The Rock just shines through. He mm. as 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 one of his namesakes would give him. Right. It, yep. He's so electrifying. Yeah. Um, and it's it's great. And then yes, to have him uh, walk away with the title, not actually pin the undertaker like you said it is some really good storytelling especially because um later when brock comes over to smackdown and and brock would end up with the title it makes a lot of sense then that like the first feud he has with the title is the undertaker and it makes sense because the undertaker gets to go i lost my title and didn't even lose the fucking match so um now that I, I don't remember, and this is probably uh, a statement about that feud. I don't remember that feud too too well between The Undertaker and Brock. So it probably wasn't actually that great of a feud. But in terms of teeing up the storytelling, it, it worked really well. Um, and then seeing The Rock celebrate at the end, and he's still to this day, like 
anytime I get my hands on a WWE belt, even the cheap, like $10 Walmart one, I, I can't help myself. I love the way when he, when he has a belt and he gets up on the ring post and like flips the fucking belt up over yep. top. Like, I don't know what it is. It's so simple, but seeing him do it, you're like, so badass it man. is <laughs> yep and, no 100 it's the same the same way with me if, when there, if there's any elevated surface i can stand on every time i'm doing the randy orton you know oh, yeah. <laughs> every time oh, it's just, it's just what happens it's, it's part of the process right <laughs> it's what happens when you uh when you grow up watching wrestling <laughs> right exactly so. exactly um all right well i guess and, and we i probably know the answer to this but i i, I gotta ask what was your favorite match of the card and what was your biggest moment in your opinion of the entire pay-per-view? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I have to go, I mean, my favorite match, it's, it's going to have to be the main event. I mean, I mean, it's going to have to be to Taker uh, angle and, and the rock. I mean, it, it, it was a banger. It was, it was great. I mean, from start to finish, I, there were never any moments where I was bored I mean, it really, they, it was really well done. There wasn't a lot of misses. Um, so I think that I would have to say that's probably my favorite one, even though I, I'm, I'm, I'll say it again, that Rob Van Dam and Brock match. Ooh. I mean, maybe it was just because I just, you know, I hadn't watched Rob Van Dam in his, in his, in his prime in a while, but God damn, I, I really am looking forward to watching more of his matches because I, he's, he's, he's an animal. Um, but yeah, so main event really, really was, was that for me in terms of my favorite moments. Um, I think, I think it's gotta be, um, Triple H's decision that whole segment I think for, for me yeah. um it felt like you had it felt like you had this this pay-per-view really had two like if, if you're looking at this from a movie perspective I think two climaxes two yeah you know big moments and, and they kind of worked simultaneously and they were completely independent of each other for, for the most oh, part yeah. I mean they would interweave obviously but you had Triple H finally making his decision after being courted and after going back and forth, having all these twists and turns, you know, and then you had the rock taking the, taking the title. Um, and those were the two big takeaways and they were well executed. Um, and for the most part, I think this is overall pretty darn good pay-per-view. Um, you had some, you had some goofy nonsense, but yes. that's to be expected. Um, of course, you know, and, and that's just that's just is what it is. Um, I one thing I, I noticed, and correct me if I'm if I'm misremembering something here, but like they didn't actually have any women's matches, and did they no. just not do women's matches on pay per views back then? I, no, not really. I was gonna say I think I guess I guess that was why. But um, this this was or, the era still. This was the era still of like. The bra and panties match, right? And that nonsense. And so, no, like, really, at that, especially this early into ruthless aggression, obviously, we would see the women's division. And this is this is a hell of a statement, especially as we we continue to to do episodes here. We see the women's division and the the women's inclusion grow exponentially, right? Uh, in some <laughs> weird ways, but. Yeah. Um, especially at the start of of the the ruthless aggression era you, you just don't you don't really have a lot of that and part of it was because vince didn't have a, a lot of women wrestlers right this was when vince was bringing in models yeah um so that he could have as uh as the king used to say puppies to look at uh, 
and that was like the whole point of the show uh and when women when the women were on it when tori and, and crew were on there uh but you would see them develop more and and come yeah. more into their own during the uh ruthless aggression era that ultimately like we said before set the stage for what we have today right so. but I, yeah I, I just that was interesting to me that they I, I thought even back then they'd usually do at least on the undercard, you know, one, you know, God, mud wrestling. I know they did that sometimes. And like you said, the bra and panties matches and stuff. I thought they'd do at least one, let the women get in the ring and do something. But they, I mean, the only, I mean, it was literally just that, that it was, it was golden the golden thong, thong thing. That was, that was it. So that's all you see. Good Lord. But yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, they, they were laying the groundwork for a feud there as those two ladies argued in the dawn, oh, true. you know, you know, my ass is the thong ass. Okay, you're, you know, you're so right. Long-term they, they storytelling. Were, they were teeing up a long-term storytelling <laughs> yeah. for a bra and panties match, you know? <laughs> okay, uh, that's true. That's a good build. <laughs> that's that's a Vince McMahon build for you. <laughs> yeah. so, huh. uh, on that note, that and this is a whole thing, but man, to some extent, that, that had to be so strange and strange and tough for stephanie to to witness as she's like this on-screen character of this gm but then like probably she probably was the one that on screen and storyline had to sign off on some of these bra and panty matches had to sign off on the edge and lita shit like things like that where it's just like vince what the fuck (laughs) yeah i'm sure i'm sure that she knew and probably still knows um you know more about what's going on with, yes. with Vince's current current stuff and there's there's I mean there's rumors and speculations out there that her and Hunter were the ones that kind of blew the whistle and, <laughs> and and allowed all this stuff to come out and well they, yeah. you know yeah it's it's could it be, is pretty pretty interesting that uh right before it all comes out Stephanie and Paul get kind of booted from the company and then mm-hmm. look at them now I think it is I think I think yeah I think you're onto something so, well, with that, then um, my favorite match, also the main event, uh, hands down, it has to be, you know, it was just so high intensity, high pace. Uh, you get the great spots to wrap up where they all just like hit signature, finisher, signature, finisher, finisher, signature matches over. And it was great. Um, my favorite moment is really dumb, uh, <laughs> but it's that's why it's my favorite moment, because it's so dumb. And it's actually with, in my opinion, the worst match on the card, the Jeff Hardy-William Regal match. The amount of times that Taz asked the question about what Jeff Hardy has on his face. Is that some kind of paint? <laughs> is that some kind of makeup? Is it, what has this kid got going on? And I'm just like, that Not is... Grandpa. Exactly. It's <laughs> like, that is the epitome of someone who I I don't even know if they had to write those lines for Taz. I think he might have no. forgot he was on a hot mic. Like, like standing there, what, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> What's with these kids and their glowy makeup? This is ridiculous. That's funny. Like, uh, no, that was hands down my favorite because uh, like it made Taz like at one point legitimately just seem like a fucking dumbass because he's like, well, what is that there, Michael? Is that is that paint? <laughs> Is he wearing paint on his face? And it's like, bro, you were you were around for Sting, right? Like, right. 
like Sting was brightly colored for a long time too, you know. That's um, but so that was my favorite moment. No, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I also have to bring up before we wrap up here is I have it in my notes and it, it it's it's really insignificant and stupid, but it just drove me nuts. The fact that on the ring apron they had WWE logo and then the giant word entertainment, yes. so, which again that's the whole like when people say like atm machines like one of my pet peeves so they're literally printing on the banner world wrestling entertainment entertainment yeah i I know it's probably part of the whole them rebranding with getting having to drop the f and all that but i was like this is stupid that's exactly (laughs) what it was it was them making sure everybody knew they were world wrestling entertainment Uh uh not world wrestling federation although at one point jr uh which is a trait of his and obviously becoming more of a trait of his as he gets older to his detriment slips up and is like the world wrestling federation w now wwe (laughs) yeah yeah and it's like oh jr Um, oh yeah he still does that on AEW. he's he's essentially getting uh from from what i've been reading uh fans are ready to run that man off the stage and um because he's he's got a bad habit of that but dude's also ancient like right. I love Jr. I, I could sit and listen to that man tell stories all the time. He mm-hmm. is still to this day my hands down favorite commentator to call him. Oh match. yeah, he's um, the voice of WWE for, or of it, wrestling he, for he me. He is. He is so iconic, and mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't know the by God, by God, <laughs> yep. he's broken in half. By <laughs> yep. God, like yep. he sold it. He, he sold, sold it. it. So, but uh, well, with that, any other thoughts? comments anything you want to dig into here before we wrap this bad boy up no i think we i think we covered them all um uh, you know that it was a it was a pay-per-view with with short quick fast matches but um you know a, a lot of good stuff in there so a very very solid um very solid start to the ruthless aggression era to be yeah. quite honest like mm-hmm. really set the stage for ironically a lot of what we'd see throughout the ruthless aggression era with whether you're talking about the the simply the people they had on the match card to the storylines mm. they started teeing up, um, some really good like long term quality stuff stems out of this, and uh, it's it's funny because I mean candidly going into this, I couldn't have told you a damn thing about Vengeance 2002 from memory, no. um, other than like ah. Oh, I think that was when the rock and like, maybe that was when that triple threat match happened. I remember that happened at a vengeance. Um, and that was about it. I, that was the most I could have told you. So really cool to revisit this. And this is, this is what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, this is our, our bit. We're going to keep going. We're going to dive into more and more of these pay-per-views and, and potentially even some of the marquee moments on just the SmackDowns or the Raws uh, and, and even dipping back into the attitude era we're going to kind of be moving in between those two at different points uh those two different eras so super excited to have you back on here colin as always super excited to have you down the road and can't wait to see what else we do with it but with that we're going to sign off here on another episode of riots ropes and wrestlers we'll see you next time